Hi everyone, Dan Cassidy here. Welcome to the Washington Weekly Podcast on the UBS In The Now podcast channel. Our conversation today will focus on the fiscal relief plan just outlined by the incoming Biden administration, the potential next steps following the second impeachment of President Trump, what we can expect to see on Inauguration Day, and more. I am excited to welcome back to the podcast Shane Lieberman, Federal Affairs Manager with the UBS U.S. Office of Public Policy in Washington, D.C. So Shane, it's great to be with you as always and looking forward to our conversation. Thanks, Dan. Good to be with you on this Friday, and I hope everyone's doing well. Absolutely. So, Shane, I know there's a lot to talk about, a lot to follow up on as well from our conversation from last Friday. Perhaps we can begin with the big news announced yesterday. Again, President-elect Biden, he outlined a robust fiscal relief plan, which has a pretty big price tag attached to it. I believe it's one9 trillion dollars. So to get things started, Shane, can you walk us through the scope and scale of that proposal and how soon before the plan or perhaps a variation of it might be implemented? Yeah, last night, uh, Vice President-elect Biden released his um, $1.9 trillion plan. Obviously, $1.9 trillion, um, it's pretty sizable, so there are a lot of details to call through. Um, but from what I've seen, I think you can break it down to a few categories. Uh, starting with direct aid. Um, so the proposal will give $1,400 checks to most Americans. And remember, um, these Americans received $600 from last month's stimulus bill. So to round it out at a $2,000 for uh, most Americans. It, this uh, plan also includes a more direct assistance um, with rental, food, child care, and utility assistance for those in need during these uh, tough economic times. Uh, from And this would uh, be the, the biggest chunk of that $1.9 trillion plan, uh, roughly a trillion dollars of it. Uh, from there, there would be some $400 billion for community support um, with money going to first responders and other essential workers. Um, and then there would be some grants for small businesses, tribal governments, and, and transit agencies. And then, of course, we get to kind of the heart of the pandemic, which is, you know, the pandemic itself and um, another uh, couple hundred billion dollars for uh, to expand the vaccination um, plan and get more people vaccinated um, pretty quickly here, um, increased testing and uh, actually uh, over a hundred billion dollars for schools to try and get uh, schools reopen, you know, not next school year, but, um, you know, in the next uh, few months here. Uh, obviously, that is a burden on a lot of uh, Americans having their kids learn from home. Um, so getting them back into school is, is a focal point of this plan. Um, as for the timing, you know, that is so fluid because as we've seen um, the past uh, few weeks here in D.C., there's just so much uh, uh, so many moving parts, the transition to the Biden administration and trying to get uh, new cabinet officials approved by the Senate, um, this impeachment trial that will start in the Senate. So there are a lot of competing um, polls uh, on and demands on Congress right now. So it's going to be a balancing act. I think the quickest you could see it um, enacted, you know, if all the stars aligned would be in about two weeks. I don't think that's uh, in the making right now. I think we're 
looking at mid-February, but this is really fluid, and, you know, that's just um, uh, throwing darts at the moment. Uh, so this will be fluid. I think, you know, in the next week or so, we'll start to see how this is uh, developing. Um, you know, usually by now we'd have a good sense from lawmakers of they support it, they oppose it, but with all these competing um, headlines, I think uh, we won't really start to see that foment uh, for a few days as well. Um, you know, tradition, often we see these bills grow in size over the course of time. Um, you know, if this bill is to pass, pass with Republican support, you know, it probably would have to actually shrink a little bit. So this will be uh, an interesting one to follow. There's always the possibility that um, Democrats try to move this by themselves and, and maybe some pieces of it can be moved by a budget reconciliation process uh, that requires just a simple majority in the Senate. But that's tricky because there are constraints about what can be used in budget reconciliation. Plus, before you can even do that, you have to pass a budget resolution that uh, includes the instructions for budget reconciliation. So that obviously takes up time itself. So that, that's uh, one of the questions that we have is how is this going to move? And that plays a big factor into the timing of it all. Well, thank you, Shane, for recapping the finer points of that relief proposal and walking us through some of the intricacies that take place behind the scenes before something like this gets over the finish line. And hopefully the support is deployed to where it's needed most as soon as possible. So we'll continue to track this very closely. Now, I know President-elect Biden is set to be inaugurated into office next Wednesday. It's hard to believe that Inauguration Day is coming up so soon. And typically it's met with big celebrations celebrations, big crowds, uh, parades. It's always an impressive event to watch on TV. I always look forward to it. But I know in light of the pandemic, which is still ongoing, as we know, coupled with the recent unrest on Capitol Hill, which we'll get to a bit more in a moment, what will Inauguration Day look like this cycle? What will be different? Yeah, no, it'll be completely different than from any inauguration we've watched in the past where you have hundreds of thousands of people um, gathered to celebrate the start of a, a new administration. Um, even before last week's uh, terrible events at the Capitol, um, with the pandemic, you saw the inauguration slated to get smaller and smaller. And, um, you know, they were not handing out tickets like in previous uh, inaugurations. So I think you know, pretty much what you're going to see is a very small inauguration um, that is, you know, uh, members of Congress, their spouses, um, uh, former presidents, Bush, Clinton, um, and Obama, and uh, Vice President Pence will be in attendance. Um, beyond that, you know, maybe some of the incoming cabinet officials and others that were key in the Biden uh, team. But that's probably it. Um, you know, it won't have, uh, like I said, the, the, mall, the mall where you usually see those throngs of people is actually closed because of last week's events at the Capitol. Security is extremely tight. Um, there is uh, fencing that is uh, taller than me surrounding the Capitol, and that's being pushed further and further back due to security uh, concerns. So, you know, uh, with the security concerns, you know, it's going to be a much more 
a team event than we've ever seen before. To your point, Shane, I've seen some of these images on TV with the National Guard troops on the mall and up on the Capitol. Incredible sights to see, and that all comes in the wake of last Wednesday's riot up on Capitol Hill. Following that, I know this week the House voted to impeach President Trump for the second time. So I'm curious, what is the reception of this move consisted of within the Beltway, maybe beyond, and how might this story progress from here? Yeah, so... You know, President Trump has become the first president ever to be impeached twice, um, which is not um, a historical uh, mark that I think anyone wants to see. Um, you know, I think Congress, you know, in the wake of last week's event, felt truly compelled to act swiftly. And the House did, um, passing this impe- all, one single article of impeachment. Um, by a bipartisan vote. While only 10 Republicans supported it, um, you know, watching the debate and who got up and spoke, you know, as someone who's been following this for, you know, uh, 20 some odd years, um, you know, it, that debate struck me um, as very different. You know, you, the members that you usually so see go down and defend the president, a lot of them that did not do that. I think there was a lot of newer members who felt the need to defend the president because they've never been on record defending the president. So it was very interesting from that standpoint. I th- I got the sense that more Republicans uh, absolutely would have voted to impeach, but they either believed or just said that they believe that, you know, it is not the right thing to do um, because it won't help unite the country. So I think that, that while only 10 Republicans voted to impeach, a lot more um, felt that actually it was an impeachment worthy, um, that it just wasn't right at this moment. So now, you know, um, the, the article of impeachment goes to the Senate, but it has not officially been transmitted yet to the Senate. So once it is, it will start, you know, the trial. Um, and this is likely to happen after President Trump is, is, uh, uh no longer president. It'll be after, um, President-elect Biden becomes the president. So the, the question is, well, you know, why do it? Well, one, you know, technically the Senate has to do it once the article of impeachment is sent over. Um, but what's the effect, the, uh, the effect and impact? Well, if you look at the, the language of this article of impeachment, at the very end, it bans President Trump from, from essentially running for federal office again or holding any office of title that's a federal office so you know not not like he's a lawyer but you know he could never theoretically be a supreme court justice um but you know so this would effectively ban him from running for president in 2024 if the senate votes to convict him so that's the the real impact and you know the real impact is if the senate did actually convict him it would show um it would mean that some 17 Republican senators uh, have moved over to impeachment and conviction and would show that the, the Republican Party is trying to move on from President Trump and really um, set up uh, a lot of confrontation within the party as, as some try to move on from President Trump and some try to hold on to him being the standard bearer of the party. 
And, you know, it will take several years for that to play out, honestly. It will be interesting to see how the dynamic of the GOP evolves. As you mentioned, several broke from party lines with that vote this past week. And I'm curious, based on your comments there, Shane, what kind of influence do you believe that President Trump will have on the GOP post his term? And what have and what will the final days of his administration consist of? Yeah, well, I think, you know, President Trump is going to continue to try and uh, wield power within the party. And I think to an extent he will. Um, you've definitely seen him and his strongest allies um, take notes of who they felt betrayed the president, either in the impeachment vote or in um, things they've said, um, either in the press or on the House floor. Um, so, you know, you, you, the president intends to be active, you know, and that we'll, we'll see about, we have to see how effective he will be. Um, I think to a certain extent he will be. Um, but, you know, as far as what's going to happen between now and, you know, next Wednesday in his administration, I think the main thing we'll see is him uh, making pardons, as, as most presidents do on their way out the door. Um, you know, earlier this week, we saw the president uh, take a trip down to the border wall, and I think that was kind of part of what we would have expected probably before last week's event at the Capitol. You know, him trying to highlight um, the promises he made and the promises he felt like he kept um, to his supporters. And I think we would have seen more of that this week if it wasn't for, uh, like I said, last week's events at the Capitol. So, you know, you've seen a lot of um, cabinet officials start to head out the door. You're seeing... You know, the White House be packed up, staffers uh, saying their goodbyes and exiting. So, you know, the the West Wing is really emptying out. And, you know, I think President Trump, uh, without Twitter and some of his other social media means, will be quieter than we would have anticipated. I think the president is trying to figure out how to go out in the sense of, um, since he's not partaking in the inauguration um, he wants to have some tr- kind of farewell where he has a throng of supporters behind him and he's able to go off on Marine One and Air Force One down to Florida and look, you know, in his mind, presidential. Um, so I think that will be the final images we see of President Trump as president. Um, but then, of course, you know, it transitions to, as we were talking about, well, what's he going to do post-presidency? And I think it's going to be a very different post-presidency as we've seen from others recently, you know, whether it be Obama, Bush, uh, Clinton, or uh, Carter. Um, so uh, it will definitely be something that uh, will be fascinating to watch. Yeah, these next few days, the next week for that matter, should be very interesting. So we'll look forward to following up and continuing the conversation next Friday, Shane. But thank you for joining us this morning. As always, appreciate it. Your breakdown of that fiscal package proposal, a point of great interest to our listeners and clients, as well as reflections on this week's event. So wish you a nice weekend. I know markets will be closed on Monday to observe and honor Martin Luther King Jr. Day, so a perfect time to reflect. But we'll look forward to picking the conversation back up with you next Friday, Shane. Great. Sounds good. Everyone have a great weekend, and I look forward to catching up with you next time. Thank you, Shane. And again, today we have been joined by Shane Lieberman, Federal Affairs Manager with the UBS U.S. Office of Public Policy 
in Washington, D.C. As a reminder to our clients and listeners, please be sure to reference the latest edition of the Washington Weekly Publication, which can be located on UBS.com forward slash Washington Weekly. For clients of UBS, you can also contact your financial advisor if you would like to receive a copy of the Washington Weekly publication directly. The Washington Weekly podcast is part of the UBS In The Now podcast channel, which is available where podcasts are found, including on iTunes and Spotify. Visit UBS.com forward slash studios to view the entire podcast offering, as well as the new UBS trending video series. From UBS Studios, I'm Dan Cassidy. Thank you for joining us. As a firm providing wealth management services to clients, UBS Financial Services, Inc. offers investment advisory services in its capacity as an SEC-registered investment advisor and brokerage services in its capacity as an SEC-registered broker-dealer. Investment advisory services and brokerage services are separate and distinct, differ in material ways, and are governed by different laws and separate arrangements. It is important that clients understand the ways in which we conduct business, that they carefully read the agreements and disclosures that we provide to them about the products or services we offer. For more information, please review the PDF document at UBS.com forward slash relationship summary. UBS Financial Services, Inc. is a subsidiary of UBS AG, member FINRA SIPC.